when I <coughs> when I was a young monk, I was fortunate to visit the Venerable Lumpur Tate on a few occasions. And I remember one time when we asked for advice on practice of meditation and Dhamma practice, he made an <coughs> important point and emphasized the importance of developing the contemplation of the body in meditation and explain the background to his own practice which you can read in his biography, his autobiography. <coughs> where he explained how he had developed deep states of samadhi quite quickly in his practice and felt that he was beyond attachment to his body and that that was a very coarse object that he didn't really need to contemplate or he felt he now needed to just contemplate the mind and the more refined subtle defilements of mind that his teacher Lumpur Man pointed out that he had not yet transcended the physical body and his attachment to it. He needed to go back to what he, in his mind, felt was a kind of basic practice of mindfulness of the body. But on this occasion when I went to see him, he said that this point is so important, he said, it wouldn't be wrong to say that the whole of the Buddhist path can be realized through contemplation of the body. The Four Noble Truths can be penetrated through contemplating the body. And it's so vital that one cannot ignore this part of the practice. And that was the essence of his talk that day. And all the other f teachers of the forest tradition in Thailand will echo this in their teachings. And again, when I was a young monk, the emphasis was on seeing how the day-to-day -day practices and observances we undertake in the monastery based on the Vinaya but also not just the Patimokha but also the, what we call the core Wat, the various Watas, observances, practices of a Gamatana Bhikkhu such as uh, Acharya Wata, looking after the teacher, respecting teacher, Upajaya Wata, 
Sainasana, Vata and so on. These observances and practices in forest monasteries are emphasized as a way of beginning this training in contemplation of the body, mindfulness of the body. In line with the Satipatthana Sutta that the Buddha taught, Gaya Bapa is the, the collection of practices around the body. It's not just a meditation, but it's a whole way of training oneself, reflecting and becoming aware of the body, using sati and sampachanya, clear comprehension in daily life. And the, the forest monastic practice supports this. It's an important point to understand because it gives you the background and the reason why we do many of the things we do in our monastic training. They have a reason, a purpose. And the emphasis is on sati and sampajanya in daily life, knowing what you're doing and why at any time during your day from waking up through to going to sleep. And even while you're asleep, if you wake up, establishing mindfulness, every part of your life becomes a practice of mindfulness, clear comprehension, and particularly mindfulness of the body. The mindfulness of posture. Becoming mindfully aware of what posture you're in from moment to moment sitting, standing, walking, lying down. That's so simple a teaching that we tend to just overlook it. Just as any aspect of meditation, we know the technique of the meditation to the point where we just take it for granted or overlook it. So we know the breathing meditation will can turn to the breath any time, so we often just don't turn to the breath because we know it, it seems so obvious that we just ignore it or let it go and move on to other things. And similarly, mindfulness of posture, so simple, and our intellects are so stimulated and educated and our desires are so complex that to just be mindful of whether you're standing or sitting is almost seems something very kind of basic or even childish. And yet it's the beginning of mindfulness of body training. And out of this grows so much in the way of samadhi and wisdom that we really shouldn't overlook it or take it for granted. You see, many of our practices in the monastery are to do with things like posture, how you're, how you're sitting, how you're standing. So we have even practices about the, the way we sit and when we sit and for how long we sit at different times. So we say waiting for the meal, the etiquette, 
the core is we sit and wait and usually it's on time, sometimes it might be late but you just learn to sit and wait you're practicing mindfulness of your posture bringing your mind back to the present moment or if you're practicing a chariawata you might have to wait for a senior monk so you practice sitting or could in theory be standing or, or walking and when I was first at Wat Nana Chat Lumpur Jan used to come and stay regularly and he'd usually bring an attendant monk with him and I remember one attendant monk was so humble Lumpur Jan stayed in a, the very first Tehra's Kuti we built which actually had a little bathroom next to it before that hadn't even got a Tehra's Kuti of any real um, comfort this one had a little bathroom and it had a just a space underneath the kuti with a little wooden bed and Lumpur Jan stayed up on top and the monk decided he would just stay underneath he didn't even have a grot there were a lot of mosquitoes around and when Lumpur Jan was resting he'd just walk meditation next to the kuti and at night he'd walk if until Lumpur Jan, he'd massage Lumpur Jan, then Lumpur Jan would fall asleep and he'd go walking, take a few hours rest and then be walking again at 2 or 3 a.m., ready for when Lumpur Jan got up. So you never saw him resting, even though he must have taken a bit of rest. And uh, I asked him, I never see you rest. He said, well, I'm just upataking my teacher always ready to see what he needs he's an older monk he needs his health is not so good he needs things I'm here ready and do my walking practice while I'm waiting so he felt he wasn't missing out on anything could still practice but he just learned to wait and learned to be mindful of his posture walking up and down similarly we sometimes have to sit and wait for a teacher path of a chariot but you're aware of your posture you're aware of how you sit say when we're with lay people we don't slouch against the wall or sort of slouch in the way lay people do as a monk we learn to sit up energetically erect as we do when we meditate as we train in mindfulness of posture we're aware you know, the, the lying down posture is the worst posture for mindfulness. Until one has very developed great skill in mindfulness, you know, it's a posture to be generally avoided unless necessary, like for sleep. Even sitting in chairs where we tend to sort of slouch a bit is not seen as ideal because, again, we tend to forget the posture and it gives rise to more deluded, distracted states of mind very easily. There's nothing wrong in itself, lying down or sitting on a chair, you can say not against the Vinaya, but in terms of training in mindfulness, especially when mindfulness is patchy or not consistent, they're not the best postures. That's something we, we learn over time. 
then the Buddha talked about Poshi, went on and into the more the details of the <coughs> subsidiary aspects of posture. So it's not just the four main postures, but mindfulness as we get up, sit down, as we turn, as we bend, as we stretch our arms out, as we eat, we chew, we swallow, as we look, as we urinate, defecate. One starts to be mindful of the body in all these different activities, at these different times of changing activity, changing posture. We have, again, we have rules, sakya rules and so on about, you know, the way we eat, the way we chew, the, what we do with our hands. When we urinate, defecate, the way we do it, we even have rules guiding this. It's all steering one towards mindfulness of posture, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the functions of the body. And as you start to think about this, you can see how this mindfulness of the body leads on to both samadhi and wisdom, insight, in different ways. It's the foundation for it. You're becoming aware of the three characteristics when you contemplate posture and mindfulness of posture. Posture itself is an icha. We don't stay in one posture all the time. And sometimes we take that on as a practice, but it's a very difficult practice. But changing posture shows us anicca. It exposes vetana, dukkha and sukha vetana. As much of our posture changes associated with avoiding dukkha vetana, seeking sukha vetana as the waitana builds up in one particular posture. Showing us the dukkha of the body, you know, its inherent nature towards dukkha because of the limitations of posture over time. And then these other activities, eating, even eating, when practice mindfulness of eating, we start to see the process of eating is dukkha. And chewing is not actually a pleasant experience. It involves muscle movements. Bits of food get stuck in our teeth or can get stuck in our throat. You can actually choke to death. Every year around the world, thousands of people choke to death on their food. It's not an unusual way to die. We can have coughing fits as we eat. So we have different kinds of dukkha associated with eating. And as we become mindful of the posture and the movements and so on, then it's taking you away from the normal obsession with the senses, and the sense data of tasting and then ideas or views and opinions about the food. We like it, we don't like it, we want it, don't want it and so on is bringing you down to the mindfulness of reality of eating and the dukkha associated with it. And the anicca, the 
the changing nature of the food as you eat and then it goes down, you digest it, moves through the digestion that can give up dukkha, constipation, wind, acid and so on. Whether you're getting enough nutrition out of your food, how the nutrition goes into the body, the absorption of that. How we get tired to do with the digestion. We often feel sleepy with digestion because the blood is being used up to absorb the nutrition from the food. And then as it goes on down, food and drink comes out as urine excrement. We can contemplate that every day, mindfulness of posture. You can notice the relief in the body as you excrete out excrement or as you urinate. If you've had a full bladder, you actually get sukhavetana and you get rid of that urine or that defecate that excrement out. But it also can be a painful process. We can get inflamed bladders. We can get renal problems, um, anal problems, rectum problems. And of course what comes out is unpleasant, undesirable. But it's as equally a part of the process as the eating, which tends to be seen as more desirable. But just mindfulness of these activities brings one great insight into the dukkha, the anicca dukkha anatta of this body. The dukkha of this realm of existence as a human being. The limitations of it. So it leads on to, from contemplation of the body, mindfulness of body, and use of the requisites. They're very much in line with mindfulness of the body. You're choosing how much to use. We tend to be frugal so as not to be a burden on the lay community. We develop fewness of wishes. Simplicity both so that we're not a burden on the laity and also just to support our own meditation practice you know, reducing the complexity of life by having few requisites simple in the use of our requisites but also being mindful in the use of requisites in conjunction with this body how we use our robes, our kutis, how we eat and so on. And again, the core water, the, the ways that the, our teachers train us, have trained us and are training us. We have all kinds of observances and practices around this. And these kind of core water, these, you know, the things we take on, we, we take on you know, looking after our requisites not only being frugal but uh, looking after them, cleaning them, maintaining them. These are not optional sort of things that we may or may not do. They're part and parcel of being a monk. Their responsibilities, their duties. So we have to look after our requisites properly in the proper way. How we clean our bowl, look after our bowl, store our bowl, carry our bowl how we look after our robes, clean our robes, how we wash them, 
attending to our robes when they're drying, say when they're being washed, we have to always keep one eye on our robe. Where is it? Is the wind blowing it? Is it going to blow off the line? Is it getting too much sun that in the summer the sun can damage cloth? Ultraviolet rays. Is it getting affected by insects? Is it being left out that animals could bother it? In the past we have had cloth pulled away by wombats into their hole. In the time of the Buddha, or even in Thailand, it's cows and um, buffalo can actually pull robes off lines and chew them and destroy them. The wind can carry your robe away. So we have rules that we have to keep an eye on our jiwan when it's on the line. Can't just go away and have a nap. If you do, you have to entrust it to someone else. And this is a rule that Ajahn Chah and the other teachers, they emphasize. You're learning to look, really look after your robes, know where they are at any time. The rule about keeping your robes with you at dawn, it's all about that, looking after your robes, knowing where they are at any time. This is stemming from mindfulness of body and, and encouraging mindfulness of body. one becomes aware of how this body affects the robes, how you, you wear your robes, the grease of your body, the sweat comes out. You're aware of that as becoming aware of the various liquids that come out of this body and how they can blemish your robes. And so then you have to wash them after they get smelly. And this is a contemplation in mindfulness of body. And teachers like Ajahn Chah and all the different Krubhajan, they say these, these practices seem so simple and so almost childish, but they take you all the way to Nibbana. Why would they say that? It's because they're encouraging you both to be strict and disciplined in your sila, in how you acquire requisites, how you use them, but also this point of mindfulness of your body, coming back to the present moment, where you are, what are you doing, how are you looking after your requisites, how are you practicing. It's bringing this basic mindfulness and if one is to neglect these kind of duties, responsibilities, well, it's a sign that you know, one's mind is probably very distracted or confused and in, caught into different moods. It's going away from Dhamma Vinaya back to Kalesa. <laughs>